In this reissue episode, we are happy to share the most downloaded 2020 episode for Dog Save the People, which was Wondrous Again, featuring guest and author Dean Kuntz. It's not a surprise that what people gravitated towards most during the pandemic was the discussion of getting outside. Dean spoke eloquently about the importance of getting out with his dog for a walk every day and how it opened his eyes and heart up again to the natural world. He became more aware of his surroundings, appreciating the small details of his neighborhood, and learning to not take it all for granted. While it was a tough year all around the globe, we heard from many guests about how their dogs helped lift their spirits during these difficult times, and how even the simple act of walking a dog provided a sense of normalcy during this surreal year. So with that, here's our most popular episode of 2020. Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Dean Koontz is a number one best-selling author whose work spans six decades and has had both commercial and critical success. His books have sold more than 500 million copies to date. Koontz also has written about several dog characters in his work, including his new book, Devoted. Dean has had three dogs of his own now, each of whom has had their own impact on him, but especially his first dog, Trixie. The dogs have come from Canine Companions for Independence, an organization that provides assistant dogs free of charge to adults, children, and veterans with disabilities. Dogs have impacted Dean both on a personal and professional level, and you can really hear it in his voice. Dean, I am so honored to have you on Dog Save the People. Thank you so very much for joining us today. I'm truly humbled to have you here with us. Well, thank you for having me there. I wanted to tell you, I've got such a great memory of a particular time in my life. My father had just passed away, and my mom and I were driving across country. I was taking her to visit her sister in Arizona. So we were driving across country from Ohio to Tucson, and we had your book, Your Heart Belongs to Me, on audiobook. And The other passenger was uh, my mom's black Labrador, Maggie, and we really, all three of us, enjoyed the book very, very much, and it's still in my mom's car, and it's such a great story and such a provide such a great backdrop for our trip. So I I just want to let you know that you, I know you've touched many lives, but you really touched ours. Well, that's very sweet of you, and I'm glad to know you and your mom liked it, but I'm especially glad to know that Maggie liked it. (laughs) So Dean, you are a great dog lover and supporter of different organizations. I wanted to begin with talking about your first dog, Trixie, and how she came into your life. Well, Trixie was a served assistance dog trained by Canine Companions for Independence, which we've worked with for many years. And they kept saying to us, let us give you a release dog. And we kept saying, no, we're too busy. And I finally said to Jared, we'll be 90 saying we're too busy. We'd better say yes this time. And we said yes. This dog came into our lives and totally transformed our lives in ways we never anticipated, one of which was I was a workaholic, still am, but I would be working in those days till 6.30 before dinner. And the very first day Trixie was with us, she came around my desk at five of five and stood staring at me very intently. (laughs) 
And at five o'clock, she came over, put her nose under my wrist and threw my hand off the keyboard. And she kept doing that for day after day. And after about a week, I'm very slow on the uptake. I realized she's really trying to tell me enough is enough. I need a walk. I need play. Get your ass out of that chair. And I did. And I've never worked past five o'clock since. I get up earlier now to try to make up for the loss. But she gave me my evenings and made me realize they were important. Wow. Well, dogs are so transformative in our lives. And I've, and I've read a few articles where you describe how she changed your life in so many ways. And she actually helped change the way that you write. When you have a dog in the room with you while you're writing, it's kind of odd if you've always been in the room utterly alone when you're writing. And so the dog's presence transforms a lot of things. And when it's a first dog and you're beginning to realize A, they're more intelligent than scientists tell us they are. Yes. And B, that they do have human emotions. It's not anthropomorphizing them to say that they do. Science has turned around in that way totally in the last 30 years. They now acknowledge there's more smarts here and there's true emotion like human beings. But when you start realizing that, it heightens your sense of wonder. And my sense of wonder had been flagging because I'd had to deal with film producers and studio people and publishers. And a lot of that sometimes takes all the joy out of the work. She put the joy back into it for me, put the wonder back into it for me. I think the first book I wrote when she was here was From the Corner of His Eye, which was the most ambitious I'd ever done. And it was because of that dog I even had the nerve to take on the subject. That's amazing. And it sounds as though she helped loosen you up a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I used to have my blue jeans had a crease in them. And I got over that once I had a dog. Uh, Somebody called dogs the gods of frolic. And that's absolutely correct. I've always been something of goofball in high school and college. I was a slacker, but my claim to fame, I I was the... uh, class clown and proud of it. And uh, the dog reawakened that in me. So you can just get as goofy as you want with the dog and the dog totally appreciates it. She opened that to me again and uh, totally changed everything. Isn't that amazing? My dogs do. I have three dogs at home and one in particular, I have a Bernese mountain dog. He will just also bring out the goofball in me. And I find myself playing with them and doing things that I would never do otherwise. And they do, they, they transform us. Maybe the goofball in you is closer to the surface than you realize. And uh, so the dog is more easily getting to it. It's certainly the case with me. Now, Trixie, I believe is the author of a book or two. Trixie authored, I think four or five books. Uh, Okay. And she did a couple of little books for children. My first book, when I was published, I think sold 10,000 copies, and Trixie's first book sold 90,000 copies. <laughs> I was horrifically jealous for a while, but but I got over it. I love it. And they were in her voice. Yeah, there was uh, Life is Good and Christmas is Good and Bliss to You. It was Much of it was dog advice about how yeah. to get through life. Really came out of watching her. I learned a lot about coping with day-to-day life. And I think people who haven't had a dog don't quite understand that, but it is true. They they are mentors in a strange, wordless way. Oh, gosh, absolutely. Do you remember any of Trixie's uh, pieces of advice? She knew a lot of great wisdom. She did say, human beings live in constant worry and concern. Dogs do not. And human beings would be much happier if we moved to dog zip code. 
I think that's true. If we would not be so uptight about so much in our lives, we would be much better off. And that dog gives you that sense that, hey, it's not in your hands. It's just as it's not in the dog's hands. Life will be what life will be. Yes, we have some control, but not nearly as much as we think we do. And dogs recognize that. Absolutely. Dean, you also wrote a book, and I believe this was your first piece of nonfiction. Please correct me if I'm wrong a memoir about Trixie, A Big Little Life. Yes, that was uh, after she passed. It took us quite a while to get through that. And then somebody asked me, would you think about, somebody who knew her when was a publisher, and asked me, would you think about writing a uh, book about your experience, a memoir of this dog? And at first I said, I don't think I'd be capable of doing that and keeping my act together through the whole writing of the book. Uh, And it was an emotional experience. But when I finished it, it was very cathartic also. And what was the worst of it turned out not to be the writing it. But the first time it was an audio, the audio publisher asked me to read the book. Oh, boy. In my foolish way, I said yes. And I learned to really respect readers of audiobooks. It's a very tough job. But I spent two, two and a half days doing this. And I bore up pretty well. But when it got to the end, which got to be the passing of the dog, I think we spent half a day with me trying to get through a few pages of the book. So I realized, don't ever do this again. Now, what is the meaning behind the title, Big Little Life? The book makes the point that all of our lives have the potential to change the lives of other people. And here is a dog who, in many people's point of view, is a little life. It's not a big life that affects the world. But nevertheless, she had a big effect on me, which allowed me to become more generous in many ways than I was before her. And that effect that she had on me got passed on through me to other people. It meant that her life was bigger than it might have appeared to be. In that book, I talk about the fact that every life, no matter how simple or small it will seem to some people, has the impact or the power to impact other lives in a very profound way. And therefore, no life is actually a little life. The title came out of that, A Big Little Life. Now, after Trixie passed, you said that you guys waited for about eight months, and then a new dog came into your life, Anna. We worked with canine companions before, but the relationship got stronger once we had one of their release dogs. And they do amazing work by providing an assistance dog to somebody who's paraplegic, even a quadriplegic in many cases. People who could not live alone can now live alone. The dogs do so many tasks for them. Anna had not been in service. She got through, I think it was 22 months of training. There's 24 months. And they could not break her of being distracted by birds, in fact, chasing after them. And uh, when you're tethered to a wheelchair, that's a very bad possibility. She was cute as hell, and she was a lovely dog and perfect in every other regard. She resembled Trixie in some ways. Can you tell me a little bit about that story? Well, she looked so much like Trixie that we were so taken with the fact that, yes, they're both golden retrievers, but goldens are a breed that has many different faces. They all, you know, they're goldens, but some of them are a little longer in the face, this, that, different changes. The vet for her first appointment, he walked to the door and he stopped and looked at her in the exam room and said, my God, she looks identical. I said, I've treated hundreds of golden retrievers, and I've never seen two look more alike. And 
it was quite some time later that when we got the papers on her, we discovered she was the great niece of Trixie. The people at Canine Companions hadn't even realized that. She came from a different trainer, but the trainers had used some of the same breeders. So we suddenly had the great grandniece of Trixie as our second dog. And then we discovered when Elsa came with us that she follows in the same heritage. And so all of these dogs have been related to each other, which we figured out once, given the number of thousands and thousands of dogs that have gone through the program and how few have come through that line, the likelihood of this is probably several million to one. Yes, that is not a coincidence. She was fabulous. And after her came uh, Canine Companions. We were here visiting some good friends of ours there. And they said, we have a new dog that just came out of training. Not uh, is going to have to be a release dog. She needs a home. We said, no, 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 it's too soon. And they held up their phone with a picture of Elsa on it. We both broke into tears and said, we'll take her. And so she came into our life. Elsa flunked out. At 21 months, they became convinced she didn't want to work. She wanted to cuddle. And that is absolutely true. Of the three dogs, she's the most affectionate. I mean, this dog would cuddle with you all day long if you if you could take all day off. And it's a wonderful, sweet thing. But she has her own exuberant personality, too. So each one has been an eye-opening experience and a heart-opening experience. Now, Dean, you have a new book that's coming out in just a few days called Devoted, and I'm about a third of the way in, and I'm captivated. I love that this book, I'm not, I don't want to give too much away about the book, but I love that there is a canine character in the book. Can you talk about the book a little bit without giving too much away for the listeners? Sure. I, I will give tiny things away, but not giant spoilers. Uh, Thank you. The lead characters are a young mother who's an artist, her 11-year-old son who's an autistic boy with a very high IQ who has never spoken in 11 years. And some very bad people are coming into their lives, and they're not aware that their lives are about to be turned upside down. But they also are unaware that they're about to have an ally in the world that they would never imagine, and it's a dog by the name of Kip. And this book presupposes that Dogs and humans have been together for so long, for 100,000 years, that evolution has been playing with certain of the breeds, and those breeds have become smarter, and that maybe among us live a community of dogs that are nearly as smart as we are, that communicate with each other in a telepathic way, and that this boy, Woody, who is an autistic boy, at the moment his life starts getting into great trouble and stress and he's overcome by fear, this dog Kip, for the first time, hears telepathically the thoughts of a human being. And it's more cries for help than it is a thought. And the dog sets out to find this boy. And if you think telepathic communication among dogs is a little far out there, let's just remind people that when an elephant dies, elephants come from as much as 100 miles away to mourn the dead elephant. How do they know there's a dead elephant? They don't have radio and TV for elephants. And if you've ever watched a great flock of birds suddenly all change directions in the same instant, that isn't instinct. That is something else. And so I took all of that that we see in nature and just extrapolated on it a little bit for this book. You know, once they told us that dogs had no sense of 
death and loss. And in A Big Little Life, I tell the story of two dogs that were next door to us at one time, and one of them passed away, and the other dog was inconsolable, crying for weeks afterward. If the dog that was left at home didn't know what was happening, then I don't know anything, because that dog was crying from the moment the dog left to be taken to the vet to be put to sleep and didn't stop for two or three weeks. So yeah, dogs know. They are little souls and very complex ones. You had once described dogs as beauty without vanity. How do you, what do you mean by that? Dogs are as humble as a creature can get. You know, I've known quite a number of quite beautiful people because you're working in the entertainment business. You work with them from time to time. I will say I've only ever known maybe one or two that had a significant degree of humility. But a dog can be more gorgeous than any human being I've ever met. And that is certainly true of some of these goldens we've had. And yet, totally humble, not full of themselves. And that lack of vanity, it's another thing that it can teach us how it's, it's good to sometimes grasp a little humility in your life and realize you're not the center of everything. And a dog knows that innately. Though every dog wants to be the center of everything, they know they're not. I had also read here, which is so wonderful, that when you're walking a dog, and Dean, when you walk your dogs in the neighborhood, they taught you a lot about just basically and literally stopping to smell the roses. (laughs) And not always roses, but (laughs) 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 yeah, dogs sense the smell ranges, depending on breed, from between 20,000 and 100,000. So dogs take in more stimuli through their nose than we take in from all our senses combined. And that means dogs' sense of the world is possibly much deeper than ours. And I'm talking the natural world. I realized that if I went out to walk around the neighborhood, which I didn't really do very much, it would just be to get from one place to the other. And when you walk with a dog, no, you got to stop and look at this and smell this and uh, be curious about that. And it slows you down and makes you see things in a way you had lost track of seeing them. It opens you to the absolute beauty and wonder of the natural world that you've started taking for granted or have started not noticing at all. And with a dog to slow you down, make you look, everything becomes wondrous again. I agree. And they are the gateway to nature, I think, for us. They really, they teach us and help us to see the natural world and the beauty that's all around us that we that we really have a trouble seeing. It makes you aware sometimes of how little maybe you're giving to the other people in your life or to people who, who maybe need a little bit of what you have. And nothing is going to make you happier in life than that. And I think it's the biggest thing they give us. So, Dean, I know that we can find you on Instagram at Dean Kunst Official, and on Facebook you have your own your own page that that everyone can follow and learn more about all of your beautiful work. And um, again, I'm so excited to be able to speak with you. It's been a true honor, and I'm can't wait to get deeper into the book Devoted. It's just it's right up my alley. Well, thank you. And I always say you're only as good as the interviewer interviewing you. And you did a great job, John. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very, very much, Dean. You were wonderful. I've been a fan of Dean's work for a while now, so it was wonderful to speak with him, specifically about the dogs he's had in his life. 
He had such beautiful sentiments about how they've changed him, and I could tell it was really genuine. I love that he's been integrating dog characters into his books, and like I said, I've been loving his new book, Devoted, and can't get my paws off reading it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio. It is made with the support of executive producer Scott Benaglio and our producer and editor Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor Daniel Lampert for creating the music for the show. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review or rating. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram at Dog Save the People, Facebook at Dog Save the People Podcast, and Twitter at Dog Save the PPL. We have a new gift shop on the DogSaveThePeople.com website with our first line of show merchandise that includes super soft t-shirts in black and light blue colorways. We are also happy to say that the shirts from the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, have also been added to the DogSaveThePeople.com gift shop. Profits from these t-shirts will be going to support independent rescues and shelters. If you have any questions or submissions, you can reach out to us on our website or on social media or email us at dogsavethepeople at gmail.com. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People.